please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Hello, this is Dorky. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history, and I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned, and I hope you enjoy it. Before I begin, there's a lot of French pronunciation in this episode that I'm not going to get correct. Please know that it's not out of disrespect or not caring. It's that I don't speak French, which is something that I definitely hope to one day remedy. Marie Antoinette was born Maria Antonia Josefa Johanna in Austria in 1755 as the youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa. Marie received an excellent education, but when she was 10, they realized that she could not write correctly in German or in any language commonly used at court, like French or Italian. They also found that conversations with her were stilted. While her writing may not have been what her parents or teachers would have liked, she was a talented musician. She learned to play the harp, the harpsichord, and the flute. She sang during the family's evening gatherings, as she had a beautiful singing voice. Side note, this seems like as good a place as any to mention that she met Amadeus when they were both seven years old. There's a story that during that meeting, he declared that he and Marie would get married one day. It's unknown if this story is true or not, but I think it's cute regardless. She also excelled at dancing, was reported to have exquisite poise, and loved dolls. When she was 13, it was decided that Marie would marry the future king of France. When she was 15, they were married by proxy in Vienna, with Marie's brother standing in for the French prince. Then Marie traveled to France, where at the border her name was changed to the French version of her name, Marie Antoinette. Another wedding ceremony was performed at Versailles. Royal marriages at that time often occurred as a way of securing an alliance between the two countries the participants were from. This was definitely the case in the marriage between Marie Antoinette and the future Louis XVI. France and Austria had fought a war against each other, and while this war had been over for a few years by the time of the engagement, it was meant as a declaration of friendship and peace between the two countries. Unfortunately, while people seemed to at first like Marie enough when she first arrived in France, there was still an attitude of, but she's Austrian, that was always brewing just beneath the surface of most of the population of France. This slight mistrust of her, because of the country she came from, only grew to outright dislike, ridicule, and eventually hatred over the years. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. It seems to me that Marie's first mistake at the French court was angering her grandfather-in-law's official mistress, Madame du Barry. Yes, official mistress was an actual title in the French court at the time. 
there are some international politics involved in all of this. Madame du Barry held a lot of sway over Louis XV and got the main advisor responsible for putting the whole Austrian-French alliance and marriage of Marie and Louis together, exile. Madame du Barry also got that advisor's sister, who was one of Marie's ladies-in-waiting, exiled as well. But international politics aside, my personal opinion is that a lot of it really boiled down to court politics. When she got to France, Marie didn't acknowledge or speak to Madame du Barry for like two years. The French court at Versailles at the time was super structured and had a lot of complex, strict rules. One of those rules was that no one of lower status was allowed to speak to Marie until she spoke to them first. So by not saying anything to Madame du Barry, that meant that she wasn't able to speak to Marie. This caused enough of an issue that Marie's mother heard about it in Austria and had to write her daughter and tell her that by not speaking to Madame du Barry, she was jeopardizing the alliance between France and Austria. Marie relented and finally spoke to Madame du Barry. All Marie said to her was, there are a lot of people at Versailles today, but that was apparently enough to avert this crisis. Side note, Madame du Barry was sent to live at a nunnery after the death of King Louis XV by King Louis XVI. She was allowed out after two and a half years, but was never allowed back to Versailles. Madame du Barry would end up being executed in the French Revolution in 1793. King Louis XV died in 1774, and his grandson became King Louis XVI, and Marie Antoinette became the Queen of France. She was 19. Before we go any further, I want to mention France's political situation at that time. To put it mildly, things weren't great. The economy wasn't doing well, and the people of France were looking at Versailles, and all the wealth and extravagance of the people that lived there, and the notion that maybe that wasn't very fair began to brew. So keep in mind, while you hear everything that happened next, that the people of France are watching what's going on at Versailles, and are, over the coming years, growing increasingly resentful of the monarchy in general, but especially that woman from Austria, Marie Antoinette. Marie didn't like all the pomp and circumstance of the French court in Versailles. She was actually uncomfortable with the very strict performative life at court. This is because just about every aspect of royal life at Versailles was highly orchestrated, ritualized, and on display, down to the tiniest thing. The privilege to do something like hand the king or queen their clothes went to the highest-ranking person in the room. If a higher-ranking person entered the room while any of these tasks were being done, they'd have to stop and let the higher-ranking person take over. Another example of this is that at Versailles, something as basic as knocking on a door was highly regulated and ritualized. Tapping on a door with knuckles was a faux pas. Instead, courtiers had to scratch on door frames with their fingernails. This more discreet system was the only way someone could announce their presence to a room. Because of this, courtiers would grow out one of their fingernails specifically to scratch on doors. It all sounds absolutely bananas now but this was just how things were done at Versailles. A few weeks after Louis became king, he gifted Marie a small chateau on the grounds of Versailles with the idea that she could have a place to escape to and not be surrounded by courtiers fighting over who was going to be the one to hand her gloves to her. While there, she could be around only the people she wanted to. As a bonus, she could decorate it however she wanted. Marie and her friends would spend time there putting on plays and dressing like shepherdesses. I guess she had to be there. 
as for the decorations of the chateau i mean she was the queen of france so the chateau was decorated nicely but nothing even close to resembling the rumors that soon spread that she had covered the walls with gold and diamonds people outside of versailles were also talking about the expensive clothes she wore and even her very elaborate hairstyles france was facing financial crisis and a lot of the country was suffering but marie was spending heavily on fashion luxuries and even gambling i'm going to speak up for marie antoinette here for a minute though the fashion in france at that time was very big and ostentatious so i actually think it makes a strange kind of sense that the queen of france would wear the biggest and most ostentatious dresses she could and that her hair would be the biggest we're talking like three feet high which is 90 centimeters and that's before the huge feathers or literal model naval ship i'm not exaggerating here it did get that over the top but my point is none of that was over the top to the people of versailles at the time they all dressed that way marie as the queen might have taken things to an 11 but everyone else at that time was at least at 10. i'd also like to point out that versailles was super insulated you weren't getting anywhere near it without an invitation so as wild as this all sounds to us now to the people of versailles this was just how it was especially to Marie, who would have been one of, if not the, most insulated person in the country. Was she out of touch? Yes, absolutely. Did she have any concept of what life was like for anyone outside of Versailles to compare? No. I'm not trying to defend her or make excuses for her. I'm just trying to put some perspective on things from her point of view. By 1775, Prices of flour and bread were so high that riots broke out, and it was all blamed on Marie Antoinette. People were blaming her for the country's economic situation, suggesting the country's inability to pay off its debt was the result of her wasting all of the crown's money. Talk got so bad that even her mother heard about it in Austria. She wrote Marie letters expressing concern over her spending habits, saying it was beginning to cause civil unrest. Then, in 1778, Marie got pregnant. She gave birth to a daughter. Marie and Louis named her Marie-Therese Charlotte. This did little, if anything, to make the people of France like her any better. They just grumbled that Marie-Therese Charlotte probably wasn't really Louis anyway, and moved on. Then Marie made the mistake of asking Louis to intercede on Austria's behalf in a land dispute with Prussia over her brother's claim to the throne of Bavaria. I know, and I'm sorry. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Louis did what Marie asked, and Austria ended up gaining some territory once the dust settled. I mean, good for Austria, I guess, but all this did was confirm to the people of France, who were already suspicious of Marie, that she had sided with Austria over France since they had an alliance with Prussia. Then, Marie and Louis, who were queen and king of a country that was already having economic issues, whose population was already not the happiest, decided it would be a good idea to help some colonists on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean overthrow their king in England. I'm not going to lie. I've thought about this a lot, and no matter how hard I try, I can't see how in the world the king and queen of France would think it was a good idea to help overthrow a monarchy, even if it was their arch-rival England's. I'm not kidding when I say that if I had a time machine, going back to this time and listening in on the conversations that convinced Louis and Marie to do this would definitely be on my to-do list. I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight, 
so of course we know what a bad idea this would be. But even without that benefit, it still seems like a terrible idea to me. In 1781, Marie and Louis had their second child, a son they named Louis-Joseph Xavier Francois. Marie's brother, the Holy Roman Emperor, came to visit to reaffirm the Franco-Austrian alliance and also to see his sister. But all this visit did was feed rumors that Marie Antoinette was secretly sending money to him from the French treasury. In June of 1783, another pregnancy was announced. But in the beginning of that November, she suffered a miscarriage. I did the math, and that means she would have been like seven or eight months pregnant when that happened. And I just can't imagine. How terrible. While all this was happening, France's economy was still having trouble, and Versailles was still in its own world, acting like nothing was wrong, and the people of France were seeing this and getting more and more angry. While all of this was happening, France's economy was still in trouble, and Versailles was still in its own world, acting like nothing was wrong, and the people of France were seeing this and getting more and more angry. Most of their anger was directed at, air quotes here, that Austrian, Marie Antoinette. Yes, they were still mad that she was Austrian. They were never not mad that she was from Austria. Horrible, salacious cartoons and pamphlets about Marie began circulating all over France. Some things never change, and a woman being vilified in this particular manner, unfortunately, is one of those things. In 1784, Louis bought another chateau, but in Marie's name. This really upset people. Not just factions that already didn't like Marie, but also people who didn't like the idea of a Queen of France independently owning a private residence. To add to this, the high cost of the chateau, plus the large cost of redecorating it, only added to the frustration of the people of France, who were so poor at that time they were having trouble putting food on their table. In 1785, Marie Antoinette gave birth to a second son, Louis Charles. Unfortunately, this birth happened exactly nine months after the return of a courtier that she'd been rumored to be having an affair with, which fueled more gossip. I know you can't see me rolling my eyes right now, but I promise I am. Something else that happened in 1785 that needs to be talked about is the diamond necklace affair. This is wild, so bear with me. The whole thing actually started out with King Louis XV. He commissioned a jeweler to make a very extravagant and expensive diamond necklace for his mistress, Madame Dubarry. Remember her? But he died before the necklace could be finished or paid for. The jewelers offered the piece to Marie, but she didn't want it. So this left the jewelers stuck with this very expensive necklace. It was worth like a million dollars in today's money, with no one to buy it. Enter Jean de Lamont. She was a distant relative of Louis, who lived at Versailles. She was a con artist and was dating Cardinal de Rohan, a man whom Marie didn't like, as he spoke poorly of her. To make a long story short, Jean wrote letters to Cardinal de Rohan, pretending to be Marie Antoinette, to the point where the Cardinal was convinced that they were in love. The Cardinal even met up with a woman in the gardens of Versailles one night, believing he was meeting with Marie. He wasn't. He was actually meeting with a woman hired to pretend to be the queen. I'm going to cut in here really quick just to say that yes, I understand how wild this story is. The cardinal is getting catfished by his own girlfriend. It gets even more wild. Another letter came from the pretend queen, 
asking the cardinal to buy the necklace for her, claiming that it was too expensive to be seen being bought by the queen, and that she needed him to act as a go-between for this purchase. So the cardinal arranged to purchase the necklace from the jewelers, claiming to have the queen's authorization for the purchase. He even showed them the letters he had that he believed were from the queen. He got the necklace and took it to Jean de Lamont's house, where a man, who he thought was one of the queen's valets, came and got it. The diamond necklace was promptly picked apart and the gem sold on the black markets of Paris and London by Jean de Lamont. When the time came to pay, Jean de Lamont presented the cardinal's notes, but they were insufficient. The jewelers complained to the queen, who told them that she had neither ordered nor received the necklace. In the end, the whole truth of what actually happened came out in court, and the guilty were punished. But even after being proven to have had nothing to do with this necklace business, the public still thought Marie was truly behind the whole thing. The diamond necklace affair was kind of the final straw for Marie in the minds of the French people. It turned opinion sharply against the queen, and the image of an empty-headed foreign queen who spent way too much money was firmly in place in the mind of the French. There was an increase in literature defaming the queen. Her unpopularity was so great after this that it could no longer be ignored by either Marie or the government. Her appearances in public all but ceased. Marie gave birth to a second daughter, Marie-Sophie Helene Beatrix, in 1786. Unfortunately, this daughter would pass away before she was a year old. Things got even worse for Marie when she decided to try to help Louis make political decisions. She pushed for an ally of hers to be appointed Controller General of Finances and then as Prime Minister. France's financial state was in such bad shape at that point that I don't think anyone put in this position would have been able to fix it. So when this poor guy inevitably failed, all the blame was put on Marie since she was the one who suggested him. In 1787, she was given the nickname Madame Deficit. In 1789, their son, Louis-Joseph, died after a long battle with tuberculosis. The death of the prince barely made a ripple in France, which I think says a lot. A few weeks later, the Bastille was stormed, which is typically considered the technical beginning of the French Revolution. That subject is too big to get into in this episode, but in a sentence, I'll say that the French people were hungry, angry, and over their monarchy, and rebelled. It lasted years, was horrible, and many people died in it, including Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI. Things got very serious after the storming of the Bastille, and Louis, Marie, and their children were basically kept as prisoners by their own people at Versailles. They did try to escape, but were caught and then thrown into prison for real. They would never be released. The French monarchy was officially abolished August 10, 1792. Louis XVI was executed January 21, 1793. Marie Antoinette was tried by the Revolutionary Tribunal on October 14, 1793. She was found guilty of the three main charges against her, depletion of the national treasury, conspiracy against the internal and external security of the state, and high treason. She was executed October 16th. Her last words recorded translate to, pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose, after accidentally stepping on her executioner's shoe. I think 
pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose, is very fitting as Marie Antoinette's last words. To put it bluntly, she was a terrible, out-of-touch queen. But I don't feel like that was because she was a bad person or didn't care. I think most of the problems during her reign weren't her being malicious, just her not knowing. Like how the way she dressed looked to most of the French people. Some of why the people of France didn't like her wasn't her fault, and she had no control over, like the fact that she was Austrian. The system she lived in and represented was definitely unfair, but that system was in place long before she was even born. She became the symbol of all the excess and everything that was wrong with the old regime in France. And while I get it, I don't think that's totally fair. Everyone who was living at Versailles at that time took part in and enjoyed the benefits from that system she's so symbolic of. It's not like she was the one who created that system or was there in a vacuum, but she was the one who became the focus of everyone's anger, sometimes justifiably, but a lot of the time unjustifiably. For example, yes, she spent way too much money on clothes and things like that, especially considering how poor many of the people in France were. But there's no way that her buying dresses is what put France in such a bad financial position. And I hope that everyone listening to this already knows that Marie Antoinette did not say, let them eat cake. I guess the easiest way to put it would be to say that if this was Reddit, I'd judge her NTA, not the a-hole, but only because of the time she was living in and all its context. If she were living in our time, in my opinion, she'd absolutely be the a-hole because she would have known better. Sources used for this week's episode are rinkerchateauversailles.fr and Wikipedia. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at doorkeypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends.